Today's show is brought to you by Airtable, the all-in-one collaboration platform. Maintaining an editorial calendar is hard. you got to wrangle writers, editors, copy editors, social, all on deadline. It can get messy fast. That's why leading creative teams at places like BuzzFeed Motion Pictures, Group 9 Media, and Condé Nast Entertainment use Airtable. Airtable is flexible enough to adapt to your process, but powerful enough to keep everything on schedule. Visit Airtable.com slash Recode Media today to get $50 in free credits. Today's show is also brought to you by Qualcomm, which is part of the daily lives of billions of people around the world. They may not be the name you think of when you think of smartphones, but they invented all the stuff smartphones rely on to be so smart. Qualcomm is why you love your smartphone. Learn more at Qualcomm.com slash We Invent. Today's show is also brought to you by our old friends at Mac Weldon, who've been sponsoring this show for a very long time. Thank you, Mac Weldon. In addition to sponsoring the show, you make the most comfortable hoodies, sweatpants, underwear, and socks you'll ever wear. I buy these things with my own money. Sometimes I get them free now from Mac Weldon as well, but it's really great. They're made of naturally antimicrobial fiber that eliminate odor. You can't tell right now, but I smell great. I also look comfortable because these things are fun to wear. They're easy to buy. Go to MacWeldon.com. You'll get 20% off your order with the promo code RECODE. That's MacWeldon.com, promo code RECODE. For some reason, you don't like these. Guess what? You hang on to them. Mac Weldon will send you your money back. Guess what? It's holiday season. These are great gifts. You can buy them for someone you like. You can buy them for yourself. You get 20% off your order with the promo code RECODE at MacWeldon.com. That's MacWeldon.com, promo code RECODE. This is Recode Media with Peter Kafka. That's me. I'm part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm not at Vox Head Key. This is a special episode we're taping over in uh, Stand Up New York, home of Cadence 13. That's a lot of information for you. More information, I'm talking to Kim Masters, who is not in the studio either. She is in Los Angeles via phone. Hello, Kim. Hello, Peter. Kim is, what's your title at The Hollywood Reporter, Kim? Editor at Large. Editor at Large at The Hollywood Reporter. (laughs) Chief Muckraker. On the West Coast, uh, you host a podcast for KCRW? Yes, I have The Business, which is a KCRW radio show and podcast. You are a veteran Hollywood entertainment media journalist. Yes, that's euphemism for been around a really long time, yeah. Um, well regarded. That's another euphemism for been around a long time, but you're Thank great. You. And I wanted to have you on, one, because you're great, and two, because you've been doing really important work on a story that has transfixed everyone for the last few months sexual harassment in the entertainment business, and obviously we're now seeing stories spreading throughout various industries. You've written several important stories, but you had one of the, I think the first, right, of, of, the, of the newest crop when you wrote about Roy Price and Amazon this summer? Yeah, I think Roy Price was the first executive to be called out in the wake of the Harvey Weinstein uh, story breaking. But you, you actually know, wrote it, about him and her sexual harassment issues prior to those Weinstein stories coming out. And we can talk about the chronology of that. I wrote a story about yes. it as well. I went through a long struggle and I did publish the first story before Harvey, the Harvey story broke. Yes. So we'll, we'll go backwards in time and talk about that. But I wanted to start <laughs> off, this people are going to be listening to this over Thanksgiving. I, I wanted to tape this intentionally as close to the air date as possible in case someone else was, was brought down by harassment allegations. Yes. It's 2 p.m. Eastern Time Tuesday before Thanksgiving. I don't think happen. I don't think anything has happened yet today, but there's still plenty of day left. Yeah, don't count on that. <laughs> don't count on it not happening. Maybe you've got one to go. So yesterday we had Charlie Rose, Glenn Thrush from the New York Times, uh, late in the day John Conyer from Congress. 
again, we've been seeing a wave of these stories come out, and a lot of them are happening in on your beat, in your backyard, in Los Angeles, in Hollywood. And I wanted to start off by talking about how your job has changed in the last few months. Um, now this has become the, the dominant story. Are you, are you not covering things you would have covered because you're covering this full time? Yeah, you know, there, there was, I mean, there was just such a rush of news right after the Harvey story broke. Uh, you know, it opened the door for the Amazon Studios story that we mentioned earlier, and all of a sudden people were calling and emailing, and really I keep saying it's like <laughs> that scene in MASH when the helicopters start landing, and it's like triage. We had to sort of have a Kevin Spacey person and, a, a, you know, this person who was handling whatever else was coming up. We were evaluating constantly, what can we get? What stories are the most important? What are the most gettable? You know, should we tr try this right away? Should we put this one aside for special concentration because the allegations are so egregious? Uh, and everything else started to seem, you know, less important. I mean, we're still interested in things like the Trump administration possibly blocking the uh, the AT&T acquisition of Time Warner. <clears throat> That's important. But, you know, a lot of stuff that you would sort of day in, day out cover just began to feel like not really a priority right now. How much of this is, oh, we've always had these stories. We've always heard rumors. We've always been close to reporting a story about so-and-so, but we couldn't get it done. Let's go chase it down versus stuff coming in over the transom, people wanting to tell you stories about people that maybe you weren't thinking about. It is both. I would say it's very hard to distinguish because some of the stuff that has come over the transom, we've, we, we sort of maybe had a notion about before, some we didn't. You know, and some of this stuff has been people telling their personal essays and recollections. You know, mm -hmm. someone called me early on or emailed me and said, and told me this anecdote about something that happened to her years ago on the Gary Shandling show. And, and it just felt like a really potential great first person story. So I said, can you write that? And she was like, uh, give me half an hour. And she wrote a really powerful essay. And we've had several like that. So it's this blend of, you know, circling back to people we may have heard about before and, and just seeing whether we can shake something loose or reacting to tips. I don't know if I could even begin to separate Did, uh, when, those things. So I, I talked to you this summer again about the story that we will talk about, and you said, oh, the Times, and I think you said the New Yorker as well, are, are going after this Weinstein story again. So you knew it was coming. When, when those stories hit, first the Times, then the New Yorker, did you go, oh, wow, this is going to change everything, this is going to unearth all these stories, or did you simply go, that's an amazing story, and sort of not consider what might happen after that? I was thrilled after years that somebody was breaking the Harvey Weinstein story. So that was my primary feeling of that point was relief. But I also did think, you know, I had a key source in the Amazon Studios, Roy Price story, who had been deeply ambivalent and not gone completely on the record. She'd given sort of statements, but they weren't exactly confirming what happened in this incident. And I had this thought that maybe the sight of... Ashley Judd going on the record about Harvey and all these other women then coming forward would resonate with this woman, Issa Hackett, who had been at the center of that part of the, the Amazon Studios story. And I, you know, to be honest, I did not circle back to her because I had spent months trying to ask her to help us get that story published, but not trying to, you know, pressure her to the point where I was just inflicting distress on her because, mm -hmm. you know, and, and a version of that happened with the Harvey story too. At one point, um, you know, I was talking to Ronan Farrow 
first while he was working on it for NBC and um, then when he was working at the, at the New Yorker. And, you know, he wanted, he, he just wanted me to talk a little bit about experience I had with Harvey, but I also knew of someone who potentially could help him. And I wanted to help him, so I connected him through an, a, a a friend of this woman. And this friend called me after Ronan talked to her and said, you know, my, he's, he's kind of put her into such a state of conflict because she feels that she's failing womankind if she doesn't come forward and speak. But at the same time, she feels like she's putting herself so much at risk. And it's really, really, he, he, he almost regretted having gotten her involved with the Ronan interview. And, and I knew from talking to Issa Hackett that she was going through similar feelings. And I think it's very useful to us as reporters to get, really get in touch with what these people go through. It's not to us, you know, there's a little bit of an impulse to say, gimme, 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 I want the story. Right. But we, we have to pause and we have to say, you know, how hard is this for these people? We, and so I had been trying not to lean on Issa make a to, this long-winded thing she, uh, but but I was hoping that she would circle back to me and that's exactly what happened and did you think again when when the Weinstein story broke there's a story I've already written about, about Roy Price maybe I'll think of, you you said he didn't go back to her initially but did you think oh there are a list of well-known people that have had rumors circulating for a long time I predict that the Louis C.K. story is going to come out. Uh, well, we had a, a separate thing with Louis C.K. where we had booked Pam Adlon on my yes. radio show. And we knew that story was coming. We'd heard, you know, some of it had been sort of on the internet before. We'd had Louis C.K. on the show when Horace and Pete came out. But we sort of felt like the reporting on it didn't rise to the level where we were so going to be able to say, can you address this? But when by the time Pam Adlon came on the show just a couple of weeks ago, I felt like, okay, we really are going to have to ask her about this. Right. And, it, you know, and it felt somewhat unfair because what did she do? You know, we don't know that she did anything except there's a lot of people who are pulled into this, you know, who are because he is co-creator of her show. He has co-written every single episode of the second season of her show, Better Things. So, you know, I, I didn't sandbag her. I told her we were going to have to talk about it. And, and she actually considered, you know, she said, I wouldn't have even come for the interview if I'd known. And I said, look, you can step out. You can talk to your publicist. You can decide to address it. You can decide to say, no, you don't want to address it. Or you can leave. But one thing I can tell you is you're going to be asked this question. And and then, just to be clear, this is right before the New York Times story broke, like maybe a week and a half. And, you know, I said, you will be asked about this so you can... You can kind of decide to do this now or decide to do this later. And she did, to her credit, a great credit, I would say, she did step out. She came back. She said she would talk about it. That's the first thing we did just to kind of get right. that out of the way. And then she pivoted and did a great interview about her show, Better Things. So I listened to that podcast last night. It's a, it's a The interview's great. And then it's fascinating to listen to the beginning of that when you do ask her about Louis C.K. And she says... I feel terrible that all these rumors are out there. They don't make any sense to me. They don't, they don't sink with the person I've been a close collaborator with for a long time. I wrote down the quote, he should be celebrated. Um, and then, you know, within the, you know, a few days, that story's out. And then she had a statement saying, you know, I, I feel heartbroken that he has done this. She's not equivocating. You said something interesting in, in between the segment where you talked to her about Louis C.K. And then when you get to sort of the, the meat of the regular interview, you say something to the effect of, it's too bad that so many people have these demons that they can't control. And I thought, boy, that is the most sympathetic sort of public discussion of the men accused of harassment that I've heard to date. Most of the public discussion, whether it's Twitter and the stories, is these men are bad. 
you know, you can discuss whether it's structural and symptomatic, but it's sort of black and white and no one really wants to sort of ex- allow in most cases, there's any sort of gray area or any sympathy or empathy you might have for the men. Have you reconsidered that or is that still how you feel about the men like Louis C.K. who are accused of this stuff? You know, there's a continuum of conduct. And on one end, there's the Harvey Weinstein, Kevin Spacey, seemingly criminal misconduct. Right. You know, like, And I don't have a lot of sympathy for those people at all. I, I think they deserve whatever befalls them. And then, you know, at the other end, there is and I'm not addressing Louis C.K. specifically here because I, he's somewhere in the middle of the two extremes of that continuum for me. But at the far extreme on the other end, there are people who are sort of just obviously kind of, in my opinion, borderline pathetic, but also sick, you know. So, so and some of these people, and this it does include Louis C.K. and other names that haven't come public yet, but I can tell you there are names you wish to unhear. Mm-hmm. I, well, I think Charlie Rose is a name a lot of people would wish to unhear. You know, so, and you can see from just this, the, the, the morning after a, a presentation on, on the CBS morning show, how excruciating it is for people who, you know, worked with him, maybe did or did not know, say they did not know, may have had an inkling, whatever. It's, you know, it's not, I, I don't want to say I'm sympathetic to an abuser, but I'm, I'm saying it's not so black and white like, okay, you are a terrible person. You're going to be thrown into a cell for yeah. the rest of time, uh, all of you. It's like there are people who are brilliant, who do things for women, like Louis C.K. did. Louis C.K. made Pam Adlon's show possible, made Tig Notaro's show possible. Uh, imagine the conflict that stirs up in people like Pam Adlon and, and, and Tig Notaro to know that this person who has been a critical, critical mentor in their life lives, uh, is also this, this compulsive, it's sick, and, you know, the element of, obviously, of misusing power and, and victimizing women. You know, how do you sort that out? It's not easy for in, in some of these cases. Right. I'm picking, even as we're speaking, I'm picking my words carefully. I find that there are people that I will talk to privately, uh, if we're comfortable enough with each other, and and uh, women, right? I'm not usually talking to men about this, and they'll express, you know, yeah, there is a continuum, like you just said, or, you know, I th- all sorts of nuance and complexity that goes into this. And then publicly, I think people don't want to engage in, in that discussion. Even now, I feel like I might have tripped something. I said, I was, uh, Lena Dunham got caught up in this, right? Well, and I, this morning, uh, th- th- as we're recording, there was a letter signed by Saturday Night Live, women of Saturday Night Live, to defend Al Franken. And I saw the Twitter attack on those women by feminists who feel, you know, how dare they rise up to uh, help this terrible abuser. Now, as we speak, I haven't heard enough to convince me that Al Franken is a serial terrible abuser. And, And even if, whatever the case, I tweeted myself, that bashing the women who signed that letter does not feel like feminism to me. You know, like there's so much rage out there at the years and years of abuse that I think some of it can spill over where it is not entirely appropriate. I feel like if I smoked, I would take a break and go have a cigarette right now. So instead of doing that, (laughs) let's hear from our sponsors. We'll be right back with Kim Masters. Today's show is brought to you by Qualcomm, the company that invented the fundamental technology and everything you love about your phone. Download speeds to stunning photos to GPS, none of it would work the way you want it to work without Qualcomm engineers getting there first. And now, the company that changed everything with a smartphone is about to change everything else. Qualcomm is why you love your smartphone, no matter what brand of phone it is. Learn more at qualcomm.com slash we invent. Qualcomm, 
with two ms.com slash we invent. We're back here with Kim Masters. I have not smoked. I don't know about Kim, but I don't think she smoked. <laughs> I don't smoke. <laughs> um, I want to talk a little bit more about, about your job and, and how you do it and how it has changed or maybe ha- and in a lot of ways, this isn't new ground for you. You've always been a serious journalist who's, who's written about unpleasant people in a lot of ways and shown them things they didn't want to see. In general, though, right, the trades, Hollywood reporters of trade, their bread and butter is telling people that so-and-so is signed on to a new project or so-and-so has a new agent, sort of transactional stuff. It, it serves an important role in that industry. There was a great piece in The Ringer a couple of weeks ago about the sort of shift in the coverage at, the, at Variety and Hollywood Reporter where you've got a lot of folks now fo- spending time doing this much more aggressive reporting. How are you talking to the rest of the staff about that, maybe who doesn't have that experience or hasn't done much of this? Well, let me just say, first of all, that, you know, ever I joined The Hollywood Reporter when Janice Min became the editor. And uh-huh. from the jump, she was very serious about doing that kind of journalism. And we immediately reported that the, the then head of ABC, who had just been fired, Steve McPherson, was uh, fired for sexual harassment, which nobody else had reported at these other publications. And uh, we were we had been threatened with a lawsuit, and you know we're going to be sued, and you know, so on and so forth. And Janice did not bat an eye. Well, we batted an eye. We talked to our lawyers, and then mm-hmm. we published. So she, you know, we I didn't join that that type of publication, and I don't think, you know, Hollywood Reporter does report industry news, but yes. we have certainly been all over. My colleague Gary Baum, you know, a lot of us have been doing exposés and serious journalism since since the rebirth of The Hollywood Reporter. Uh, now, some of the younger people or people who are less seasoned here have that reporter's instinct, and I have definitely tried to encourage that, you know, in them. And uh, they are, you know, there are certain reporters, and not just at The Hollywood Reporter, I mean, I, the same thing was true everywhere I've ever worked, at The Washington Post, at NPR, they don't want to deal with a hostile, you know, situation where somebody's yelling at you and threatening you. And they don't do that kind of stuff. And the kind of stuff they do is not valueless. I mean, some of it is really great, interesting work, but it's not that kind of warfare in the trenches stuff. But so, you know, you can kind of tell on our staff here who's got that, you know, I always think it's sort of like the racehorse. You're sort of happily munching your oats in your stall, and then you hear that little bugle, and you suddenly are up and ready to go, and you want to run. And I see that among certain of our reporters. And I tell them, you know, go for it. And it's it's sort of a fun thing for me to watch them learn that they can do this. You know, I've had a, one of them in particular I'm thinking of came to me on some story or another and said, um, well, I've got this, 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 and this. So, so what, what do I need to do now? And it was like, you need to write it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's done. You're there. And I could just remember that look on her face like, really? I've got this? And it's like, yes, you have this. Do it. And uh, I'm, I'm glad to say we've got uh, several people coming up now who are, even some of them who've been at this for a long time, but were never in an environment that encouraged, you know, that kind of... Right. I didn't realize that I it. could do this or that, that people would want me to do this kind of work, and now I can, and now I enjoy it. Do you imagine that that this is a transformative thing for the reporter and for the other trades? Or do you think this is a moment in time and at some point it sort of goes back to something similar to where it had been, 
or this isn't sort of the right. story. Well, we're trying to prevent that by keeping the discussion going and uh-huh. by pursuing these stories, regardless of, you know, whatever people starting to whine that they're tired of these stories. We're just not, I don't care. <laughs> and I think a lot of people are not tired of these stories. Most of them are, you know, many of them are men and a lot of them, most most women. So we're going to keep doing this. I, I, you know, look, we went after, we tried to get Harvey, the Harvey story out two or three years ago at The Hollywood Reporter, and I guarantee you if we could have gotten people on the record, we would have gone. So I, I don't know that it's so much a change of climate, except that there's a change. There's this now this focus on this and much more cooperation with from sources. But even to this moment, some of these sources, if people are still... I've said often Harvey was not at the peak of power when he was taken down this way by a multitude of women. There are men in jobs right now, very powerful, and it is there's a lot of resistance. Sources are terrified, and so it's changed, but it hasn't completely changed. Can we talk a little bit about sort of the mechanics of reporting these kind of stories, why they're so difficult, why they have been historically so difficult? Again, when the Weinstein story came out, you mentioned you've been working on it for years. Canaletta tried to do it you know, nearly 20 years ago. David Carr tried to do it. They couldn't get through the serious people, lots of resources. What had, up until now has made reporting a story like Harvey Weinstein or even some of the lesser players so difficult to get into print? Well, you know, fear. I mean, it's simply fear. And in the extreme case of Harvey, we have read now how he hired Mossad, ex-Mossad agents and fake reporters or, you know, co-opted reporters and the, what these guys want to do in these situations, in, in many cases, is to completely smear the person making the allegation. And so th- these people faced a pretty stark choice going on the record of potentially getting their reputation we're smeared. We're going to destroy you. We're going to destroy your business if it's a publisher. Well, no, no. I'm talking about people in the industry. No, no. Would be sources. Oh, 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 the potential sources. Got it. Right. That's why we couldn't do it. We weren't. It's not that we didn't have the will. We couldn't do it because we couldn't get cooperation from sources. I mean, I would call every so often a former Miramax executive who ultimately did go somewhat on the record in the New York Times piece. And he would, you know, Mark Gill, he didn't deny any of this. He said, yes, there are people who are famous. There are people who are not famous. Well, we knew who the famous people were, not all of them, some. And the famous people were not ready to take on Harvey Weinstein. And Gwyneth Paltrow has described that kind of stark choice of, you know, either success in the industry or potential downfall. And, um, you know, so we'd be like, well, who's, who, who can, give me a name. Who can I call? Who can I find who's left the company? First of all, we couldn't get any names in, the, in that era. And second of all, you know, as we now know, many of them have signed non-disclosure agreements and feel handcuffed by those. And, and that is a huge policy problem right now. And it is, I believe, like right now, I'm trying to break a story. I know an, an alleged victim and I am, I, I'm almost 100% sure there's a non-disclosure and that's what's blocking her. It's, it's good you're pointing that out because after Weinstein and, and several of these stories, People would say, oh, it was an open secret. Everyone knew. And then there would be a, a, a round of, well, if everyone knew, why didn't you write it? And yes, partly exactly. it's people weren't talking publicly on the record. And then partly I do think there was a, uh, some publications didn't have the appetite or some reporters didn't have the appetite. I'm sure that's true, but I can tell you that was not the case here. We were inches away from breaking this, and then our source backed out. Have you seen either at The Reporter or, or other publications business ramifications from this? I'm, I'm sure readership has ticked up, but I'm wondering about advertising. Are people less likely to advertise? It's award season, right? Is kicking up? Are people? Yeah, no. Is that stuff dropping I mean, off? we're gonna we're gonna be finding that out as we go forward. I think if these companies, 
I don't, I don't, I'm unaware of any threat to pull ads, you know, and I think that if there were a threat to pull ads, it would be highly inappropriate for the reporter to even be aware of that because that is not the reporter's business, you know. They're, we don't want to know, <laughs> you know what I mean? They just, whatever, threaten to pull ads. Yeah. Speaking of award season, what do you think happens at the Oscars um, and the other small, lesser awards? Wow, it's going to be interesting at the Oscars this year and, and the Globes to see how, if, if this is, a, you know, I can't imagine it won't be addressed. But, uh, you know, look, we, I, I just feel like we can't pick and choose, you know, if we have an allegation. And as I said before, some of these people that have not yet been publicly discussed and may never be or may be very soon, you know, they are not, like, they're popular. Like, you know, I'm sure it broke a lot of hearts of Louis C.K. fans to hear mm-hmm. he engaged in that kind of behavior. So whether these people, whether there's a backlash if we are, you know, exposing stuff about popular people, whether the companies themselves, I do think, you know, threats against a publication at this point, uh, you know, if I heard of a threat to pull ads, I would be very inclined to publicize it. Sure, Just as, that's a good you know, story. The LA Times was banned, but for its reporting on Anaheim and how Disney re- relates to Amazon, to, I'm sorry, I've got Amazon on the brain. How Disney relate? How Disney, you know, related to the city of Anaheim? Got it. And then the LA Times called a boycott, and and that was, I mean, the Disney called a boycott of the LA Times, and it was just a complete backlash against Disney. So I would say they should threaten very quietly if they want to threaten. Maybe threat's a good place to take one more quick break to hear from a fine advertiser who does not threaten Recode Media. We'll be right back with Kim Masters. Today's show is sponsored by HP. They've got a new podcast they're going to tell you about right here. What does machine learning have to do with autonomous driving? How do you build a powerful open source community? Will the cloud really consume the world? Tune in to Stack That, a new podcast from Hewlett Packard Enterprise, to dive into the world of emerging trends and learn how you can leverage this tech for the benefit of your business. Each week, our hosts Byron Reese of GigaOM and Florian Leibert of Mesosphere will tackle a new topic with the help of guests from Airbnb, Google, Confluent, and other industry experts. Check out Stack That on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and news.hpe.com. And make sure to subscribe so you don't miss the latest episodes. We're back here with Kim Masters, who, as we speak, is waiting for a source to call her back so she can break a story. So her time is precious. Um, we started off by talking about the, the Roy Proy story that you've read twice now. And I wrote about once, um, I, wrote, I wrote about the first version of your story. You wrote about Roy Price in a story that came out. He was a former Amazon uh, Studios executive. You wrote a story originally published in The Information, which is not where you work. I wrote about the fact that you had tried to write the story at various publications, including The Hollywood Reporter. Um, I think I mentioned BuzzFeed, The Daily Beast had looked at it as well. Um, I think others as well. What made that story hard to publish last spring and this summer? Well, uh, the aggressiveness of he, his, Roy Price's personal lawyers. Roy Price is the head of Amazon Studios. Um, obviously, Amazon is a big, powerful company, and many people are intimidated just by that, that. But Amazon wasn't threatening us. Roy Price personally was threatening us. And his lawyers were Charles Harder, who had handled the Hulk Hogan case that ultimately completely bankrupted Gawker and took down Gawker uh, over the Hulk Hogan sex tapes. This was not a sex tape, as I repeatedly said, but the mere 
fact that that had happened was, I think, very disturbing to, to the lawyers who vet these things for various publications. And then there was Lisa Bloom, you know, self-proclaimed defender of, of uh, oppressed women who was actually representing not only Harvey Weinstein, but as it turned out, Roy Price as well. And they were, they were threatening to sue. And I, 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 at one point I said to one of these editors, like, what does, what do these people say to you that is so absolutely terrifying because I couldn't understand it. Roy Price is a public figure. The only way he could really sue me is for malice, which I did not have against him. I hardly knew him or for being recklessly negligent, which I would not do either. So to me, he also would be very vulnerable if he sued because there was material that we couldn't get on the record. But if he sued us, we could go into discovery and subpoena people and make them tell us their stories under oath. And things would in my opinion, only have gotten worse for him. So this threat seemed so, like, you know, such a saber-rattling exercise to me, but every publication was petrified, I think because of the, the reputation of Hulk Hogan and because of the relentless Trump bashing of the media, there was this fear that we could get a judge who didn't really want to obey the law or if it went to a jury, they would be hostile to the media and that everything would be against the publication. And that's a sad situation that we're in, you know, in a country that values the First Amendment and freedom of speech. And and to be fair, both BuzzFeed and, and the Daily Beast, I talked to editors there and they said, you can go look at the story, there's on the record quotes of them saying, we passed on it, but not because we were afraid of Roy Price or Amazon and we published other hard hitting stories. You published that story in, in, I think, August of this year. comes out, gets some attention. You can sort of see if you're used to reading this stuff, like there's another story there that you didn't report in there, but you report it. Then the Weinstein story breaks. Then you go back to Issa Hackett eventually, and she provides more detail about the same incident, right? It's the same story you published before, but now you say, basically what you're able to say is, Roy Price said the following to me. Right, and this the, these are the details surrounding the incident that I complained about. Yeah, I mean, I knew those details before, and right. they were included in the draft that I gave to all of these publications. And I didn't, to be clear, I actually didn't get those details from Issa. There were other sources who knew about this uh-huh. because this had been she had talked to other people. It had been reported to Amazon. And so they all could have published those, those allegations exactly, but the difference was that Issa. Issa put them on the record herself. So that story comes out. It's within, as I recall, like a week or so, the first Weinstein stories come out. And within a few days, Amazon says, Roy Price is on leave. It's quite clear that he's not going to come back. Within a couple of days, It was within three resigned. hours. Three hours. Three hours of that story. story. There you go. Of Issa's interview about what happened, yeah, with him. So what, what do you make of that, right? Clearly, if you worked at Amazon, if you were Roy Price's boss, if you were Jeff Bezos, you either knew or certainly could have known what he had done. And he, by the way, he doesn't deny that. So again, you weren't disclosing information that was new to Amazon. So why did Roy Price leave immediately after that story came out? I think he had to leave. I, I'm, I think it's baffling why Amazon have known about this, not, not only for months, but in fact for years, because they had investigated him and, and then that, that investigator had returned this past spring when I started reporting my piece. And why they waited. I mean, I wrote a piece about this. Why would you wait until the worst possible, you know, all of this is now publishable and Issa Hackett is so upset that she's ready to go completely on the record 
and then get rid of him. I just don't understand why you would wait for that. But I'm sure he was pressured to resign. They suspended him first. Right. That, the, within three hours of the ESA interview, they suspended him. Then there was more reporting that came out, and they, they finally said he was resigning. Uh, so don't ask me. I feel like that is a sign of Amazon not knowing. You know, they live in their world to some degree, these digital companies, and they, they are young, and the guys who run them are very rich, and they are sometimes not, they're more like tech-oriented than human-being-oriented, and I think this is all new to them, and they, we've seen it with Uber and so many Silicon Valley companies. They, they sort of think they can make their own rules, and then they find out that they can't. Right. I mean, we are sort of seeing, right, and, and it sort of makes sense if you think, step back and think about it, that these problems are, um, exist in every industry, right? The, the Congress is going to go through this now. But I guess the tech industry has sort of a patina of goodness about it. I mean, what I've been told about the Amazon thing is whether or not they wanted to keep Roy Price after that, they couldn't because talent wouldn't work with him. Um, not to mention, I think a lot of the people who worked under him were, were, were so unhappy. So it wasn't new information. It was just that it was newly disclosed to people outside of a certain tier at Amazon. Right. I mean, it put someone like Jill Soloway in a tough spot. You know, she, her show is transparent and she's been treated really, really well by Amazon, but she also has feminist ideals. So yeah, that was an awkward situation. I've asked a bunch of people this, curious in your take. We start with the Harvey Weinstein story. That's in Hollywood. Obviously, we hear – we've seen a bunch more Hollywood stories come out. We've seen a bunch of stories about media companies sort of in the Acela corridor. There's lots of industries where we haven't heard these stories yet. Obviously, they exist. So do you think they will also come to light or do you think there's something about media, about Hollywood that makes these stories more likely to, to be aired publicly? Well, obviously, people are interested in Hollywood and interested in these, you know, celebrity stories. And in Washington, powerful politicians or hypocritical politicians are also, you know, tempting for reporters. There's a huge press corps covering Hollywood. There's a huge press corps covering Washington. So you're going to hear a lot about those. But I believe that in any place, any industry where power gets very concentrated, power and money in a, in a small number of male hands, as is true in Congress and as is true uh, in Hollywood, you're going to see this kind of conduct. Uh, I'm sure that it's rampant in academic settings. I, I'm sure, I, I believe this will continue to come out. It's, it's spreading around the world now, you know, so we're seeing... A, a moment, and I think the the hope is it's a turning point. It's interesting that some of the things that fit those criteria you were just discussing include sports and the music industry. Um, lots of power concentrated in the hands of a few men. Haven't heard those stories really yet. Well, we have. I mean, we've heard it in gymnastics of abuse from coaches, you know, and and we are starting. I, I believe we'll hear more of that, and I think we're going to hear. You know, I think music just, you know, oh, you already had Kesha saying she was attacked by Luke, Dr. Right. Luke. I, and I think we're going to see a wave of more. I mean, I'm hearing tips. We are, our company owns billboards. So, so there's a little bit of, of right. interchange of information. And there's a sort of Weinstein-like figure out there that everyone talks about and no one's reported yet. That one I assume um, is coming. From what I hear, I don't know much about music, but there may be some big names that are yeah, going to yeah. face some problems. Yeah. yeah. No, I think there's at least one of those. It's interesting that they haven't come out yet in that, in that same pace. Um, it'll be interesting. There's Again, back to that uh, Ringer story I was looking at, the quotes you saying, right now we're in a laboratory figuring out. You're talking about sort of the, the mechanics and ethics of reporting these stories. That was a few weeks ago. We're moving at a very fast pace. Do you feel like you've got a handle on sort of 
what a story is when it comes to harassment, what a story isn't, or is it No, uh, it's still really going? hard, I have to be honest. Like, we have a person that we're looking at very hard right now, and there we have multiple sources again. They won't go on the record, so because the, the fear is, is real. And what I've noticed with these companies in a couple of cases now, these big media companies, is they have this thing that they're trying to pull, which is their spokespeople have gone, go off the record and deny things. And they think that that's going to be the end of the story. And what we have to do is demand an on-the-record answer. And I've had this experience now twice in the past couple of weeks where they say, off the record, that's just not true. And I'm like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> like, why would this be persuasive to me? Right. If it's not true, big public company, then deny it on the record. And that's where they can't, because they'll be lying and they can't lie about these people who are so important to their business. And I think it's up to us to just not ever accept an off-the-record denial from a major media company or any major institution. So that's not a difficult thing for you to figure out, right? You can't take an off-the-record no, right? If you're going to say no, you've well, got to you say it on the record. Well, you can say that it's not difficult, but the implied threat and the, that, that you're going to screw this up and you're going to look mm-hmm. bad and we're going to expose how stupid you are, it's like so there, you know? It's, some of these people, I'm sure you know, they're very contentious, very aggressive. Look at Fox News. I mean, this, I've never dealt with a woman there, but she's infamous. You know, they, they come at you and... It takes some nerve, you know, to stick to stay the course and, and demand, you know, demand on the record answers. This when did Weinstein break? Was it September or October? It feels like it's been going on for for months now. Oh gosh, I would guess it was September. September, yeah. So, do you need a break? Do you need break? <laughs> yes. <Do> you need- <laughs> <laughs> it's no. I mean, I feel an obligation to continue doing this. It's been a kind of a life crusher, you know. Weekends and evenings, people are contacting you at all hours. And I just feel like we have to do this. This is what we're here for. Do you, you, know? do you think this is a, a, I don't pick your metaphor, but this is a thing that we're going to do for X number of months, maybe years. And then at some point, we're going to go back to sort of, you're going to keep doing very serious work, but we're not, we're, we're sort of, we'll have gone through all of the stories. Or do you think this is just a permanent feature of media reporting, Hollywood reporting now? Well, I, I you know, we hope we're reaching a turning point. My concern is the statistics, certainly in Hollywood for women, in front of the camera, behind the camera, you know, in, in the corporate offices, is, they're not good. They're really, really bad. And it's become increasingly clear to me the pervasiveness of misconduct and not necessarily just confining that to sexual harassment. I, that there's a sort of a frat boy thing going on at a bunch of these companies, and they don't want women in the mix. They want to go and go to Vegas and do their thing without women uh, making them feel like they can't. So this is one of the reasons women are excluded. And to my way of thinking, until they start actually deciding maybe we're going to hire more women and promote more women, the risk of this kind of abuse is there. And that's why I think the conversation has to continue until we start to see some changes in the way hiring is is handled and the way these complaints, of course, are handled. Because you do hear men and some of them are considered to be serious people saying, well, this is this, we're going to have to Mike Pence it now. This is what we're going to do is we're going to have... that's absolute nonsense. I mean, I find that the most offensive thing. And you hear, I've (laughs) talked to women who are in your business and they say, yeah, I'm afraid this is going to happen. I'm afraid I'm going to be cut out of the meeting entirely now, um, that I just got my foot in the door and now they're going to close it. They're going to say, we, can't, we cannot have you in here. 
Well, I certainly wish that we were in an era where the EEOC was open for business and we could see some aggressive enforcement of discrimination laws, you know, because that's not the answer. And I hope we have women with the courage to try to bring class actions or sue if that's what happens, because that's sex discrimination, plain and simple, and it perpetuates the old system and it's not okay. Kim Masters, this is our Thanksgiving episode. It's kind of a heavy episode. Can we we conclude by asking you what you're thankful for this year? Are you going to Sarah Sanders me? (laughs) (laughs) I'll tell you what I said. We did it in reverse order. You tell me. (laughs) Well, you know, when she asked reporters in the White House to say what they were thankful for, my response was, I'm thankful that even the most evil people in the world are mortal. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm thankful that the Harvey story broke and that this moment has arrived. I I wait a long time and bang my head against the wall, and I'm really, really glad that at least some of the most serious offenders in this business are no longer just free to do whatever. Kim, appreciate your time. Thankful for your time. Go get them. (laughs) Well, thank you for having me. Take care. Thanks again, Kim, for coming on the podcast. Thanks to you guys for listening. Thanks to our awesome sponsors, Mac Weldon, Qualcomm, Airtable, and HP. There's other people I normally thank here, but today's a special episode. It's the last episode we're going to do with the folks at Cadence 13. I want to give a very special thanks to my producer, Beth O'Connell. My, what do we call you, Sean? Technical guy. Technical guy, guy who helps this sound good because he records it, puts up with me, does special recording requests whenever we ask him. Rarely grumbles. Sean Cherry. Chris Basil edits all this stuff together. Um, if you ever want to work on a podcast for two years, you need to make sure you have awesome people working with you. I've had all three of those guys working with me. Thank you all. Um, and thanks again to you guys for listening for two years, Beth. Is that right? two years, give or take. Um, We'll be back next week. See you then. What does machine learning have to do with autonomous driving? How do you build a powerful open source community? Will the cloud really consume the world? Tune in to Stack That, a new podcast from Hewlett Packard Enterprise to dive into the world of emerging trends and learn how you can leverage this tech for the benefit of your business. Each week, our hosts Byron Reese of GigaOM and Florian Leibert of Mesosphere will tackle a new topic with the help of guests from Airbnb, Google, Confluent, and other industry experts. Check out Stack That on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and news.hpe.com. And make sure to subscribe so you don't miss the latest episodes.